Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 148 of Selling the Couch. Hope uh, you are having a fantastic start to your day. So today's podcast is a topic. It's actually kind of a, a pain point that I know that a lot of clinicians, especially if you are a private pay practice, struggles with, which is how exactly do we get clients to get their out-of-network claims paid? Right. And so I've been thinking a lot about this. And actually, uh, Kelly and Kelly Higdon, Miranda Palmer, Miranda from Zinimi, Miranda had actually reached out late last year and was like, you have to have Rachel Norman on the podcast. And Rachel is actually part of an, a company called Better. And you can find more information at getbetter.co. And their mission is simply to help providers get to not lose their patients because we don't accept insurance. And so what they do, it's a free service that's for providers and nothing really changes about your practice. And what they do is they work with providers so that private pay patients can get reimbursed by their health insurance. And so all patients or all our clients simply do is they take a photo of their bill and then better actually works with the insurance companies to make sure that they're getting reimbursed. And if you're uh, wondering how better gets reimbursed is they actually just take, I believe, as I'm recording this, 10% of that reimbursement rate. So it can definitely save a lot of time and it might be something to check out. But today's podcast, we're actually talking about some of the really practical tips that Rachel has learned along the way in helping lots of clinicians and working with a lot of clients. And more specifically, we're talking about what exactly is this concept of the outer network benefits So we're starting pretty basic. And then what are some of the ways that clinicians can start to use super bills, some of the things to think about in relation to specific health insurances, stuff I, I don't, I mean, I you know, like I've seen this stuff on insurance, but just the way that some of the coding things and some of the wording and how that might be, that might give you a clue in terms of whether the client can use out-of-network benefits. And then we kind of wrap up with what are some of the biggest mistakes that Rachel traditionally sees when clinicians make super bills? I feel like there's been so many conversations 
in our field and in the community about super bills. And I'm hoping that more than anything that today's podcast session just gives you some encouragement and hope and maybe helps start to think about all of this in kind of a different way. And then we wrap up our episode just by talking about some of the big changes when it coming up here at the start of 2018 and really for the rest of this year when it comes to outer network claims, uh, changes in coding and stuff like that. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and, I call him Dave, Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest, and honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with and Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner uh, specifically for therapists, and his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told. It impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that. And he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download. And it's called The 7 Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. This is a super practical episode, so we'll get right to it. So here's my conversation with Rachel Norman from getbetter.co. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Thank you. It's great to be here. I am excited in kind of a a nerdy way, actually, (laughs) for this conversation, because I feel like this world of out of network benefits and making sure, you know, all of that is filed properly and making sure clients are getting compensated, all of that is just a lot of stuff to navigate. And I know that you have a wealth of information. So I'm excited for our conversation. Me too. Yeah, it is a very complicated and confusing space, but really important because it has such an impact on people's lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was like trying to figure out like the first question to ask. And I just thought, let me just start really broad because I feel and so and not make an assumption that, you know, everyone's going to know, you know, what certain terminology is. So let's just start with what exactly is an out of network benefit? So that is a great question. An out-of-network benefit is when an insurance plan will pay the member back for care that they receive from a healthcare provider that has no contract in place with the insurance company. So that healthcare provider, they don't accept that insurance, they don't work with the company, so they are out of network. And you know, one of the things that changed with the Affordable Care Act is that all plans are required to have 
a minimum level of out-of-network benefits, and that is in the case of an emergency. So anyone, when you get in that ambulance or taken to the hospital in a serious situation, it's deemed an emergency, your insurance is required to cover that care in most cases as if it was in-network. But when people start to go to see primary care physicians or specialists like therapists, not all policies are going to offer those benefits or they're not going to be easy to access if exceptions are possible. Usually the types of plans that make it you know, relatively easy and have broad coverage for seeing any doctor you want outside of your network are going to be PPOs or POS type plans. For folks who have an HMO or the new type of plan EPO, those are going to be much more restrictive. They generally, with lots and lots of exceptions, will only cover that out-of-network care in an emergency or if there's a special case. So you mentioned a lot of different acronyms. (laughs) Those are like, so PPO, HMO, EPO, those are basically like, I guess, different types of plans within that an insurance offers or what exactly is yeah, that? So those are all very common types of insurance plans. Mm. So an HMO, that's a health maintenance organization. And that, if you think of Kaiser, Kaiser sort of your quintessential HMO, mm. you can generally only go to see Kaiser doctors. Now, almost all insurance carriers offer HMOs. And that means, you know, if you have a Blue Shield or Blue Cross Blue Shield HMO, they want you to see doctors that have a contract in place with that insurance company or have an exception like an emergency or something, you know, some other extenuatum circumstances or authorization in advance. A PPO is a preferred provider organization. And for those plans, you can generally go see anyone that you want to, whether they're in the network or out of the network, but the in-network and out-of-network benefits are often a little bit different. How does, I guess, uh, not at all to put you on spot, but like, I guess if you're looking at a, a client's like insurance information, like how do you figure out which of those they belong on? Yeah, so in a lot of cases, the insurance company will help you out and they'll actually have one of these acronyms on the card. So you can take a look and and it will say... But it can't, you know, it's not always there. It can be a little tricky and it can get confusing. Plans don't always work the way that you think they will based on the name. So it's always great to have someone call the insurance and check whether that's the clinician, the client, or if they want to sign up for better and let us know what their questions are. So it sounds like with these different acronyms, kind of depending on which one it is, like, certain ones seem to like be advantageous is the right word, but like they seem to be like more friendly toward outer network providers. That's very, very true. You know, specifically why the PPO plan is designed is to give people who have that plan that flexibility to go to any doctor that they want to and have that option. So for people who that's important to them, they want to be able to access the healthcare that they need, regardless of whether that healthcare provider takes insurance or works with their specific insurance company, it's going to give them a lot more flexibility in general. Got it. So I feel like this term of out of network benefits, like it gets, you know, like shared and thrown around a lot among, you know, my colleagues. And I guess I never again want to make an assumption, but like, what exactly is the benefit to a clinician of doing the whole out of network aspect? 
So how do you mean doing the out-of-network aspects, so, like working with our clients to understand their out-of-network care? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that what we see is it's just such a common question, right? People pay a lot for their health insurance. Mm. It can often be complicated to, to manage. So of course they want to use it to cover the costs of their health care and doing so can get really complicated. So it's very commonly something that we hear is the first conversation when you call a therapist or another type of healthcare provider, the first thing you want to know is, is my insurance policy going to help here? And unfortunately, how the plans work, and there's so many differences between them, it can be really difficult to get a great answer to that question. And that that's one of the places where, you know, we're here to help with a basic outlay of, what plans cover and, and what people can expect. So they're not surprised down the line either way. Right. So I guess a clinician that works with better would be able to, um, you guys would do a lot of that legwork in helping the clinician figure out what type of insurance does this person have? Is it a PPO, HMO, that kind of information? Yeah. So we can help with that. And we also have a lot of resources on our blogs that we try to keep really simple and helpful that take you through you know, different plan types, a lot of these basics, so people can get information and, and start to understand their coverage better. I actually wanted to use the rest of our time to really kind of talk practical. I feel like there's a lot of clinicians that are out of network, they end up providing super bills, and maybe we should even start there. So what exactly is a super bill? Yeah, so a super bill is a special type of invoice that has all of the information on it that is required by an insurance company to process a claim. And there's no set format for a super bill. So we see people that handwrite their super bills that have their own template in Microsoft Word, that use an EHR such as Simple Practice, or that use the standard uh, CMS 1500 form, which is a standard form that can be downloaded on the internet. And all of those work as long as all of the required information is there. So glad you said that. So I think I was always under the impression that like there was this one sheet, right? Like that everyone had to fill out. But so it sounds like more than what the sheet looks like, there needs to be certain types of information on that sheet. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. So there's a little handy checklist of things that you need. So first off, it's your practice information. So the basics, name, address, phone number, then for the appointment, you're going to want to include the date of service, the CPT code, the diagnosis code, and how much was billed. And that's very important that we have the diagnosis code present and every date of service is listed out. So it's not just a monthly statement with a big total. The insurance company will want to know every time the patient has visited. And then they'll want some more information about the provider. They'll require a tax ID number, which you can either use your EIN or employer identification number or your social security number. And if you have one, strongly recommend including your NPI number. And that should be, you know, one for you as an individual provider. And then if you're part of a group where you actually bill as a group, you'll want the group NPI number as well. So if you're a group, you want both. If it's just you as a solo practitioner, then you want the, the individual NPI number that's just for you. Okay, so if you're part of a group, then you would want to, I guess, basically have two lines. So where you clarified this is my individual and that, 
number and then this is for the group. Yes, exactly. Related to that, what do you see are kind of the biggest mistakes that clinicians are making when it comes to actually generating these super bills? Yeah, so I think the most common mistake that we see when we receive Superbill, it's a missing tax ID number. It does need to be there. And so that can cause, you know, lots of back and forth or patients to really be struggling to get their claims reimbursed by their insurance. And then I think second is for group practices, we do often see that only a group or type 2 NPI is included. And sometimes insurance companies will reimburse a claim like that. There are exceptions. It does go through sometimes. But more often than not, they're going to come back and say, we can't process this claim because we don't know which licensed healthcare provider rendered the services and they want that type one as well. So that's a pretty common one too. Okay. So just to clarify, so for a group practice, you categorize them as types or I guess, how do you sort of distinguish it? Yeah, so there's two types of NPIs. There's the type one, and that's for an individual healthcare provider. And then there's the type two, and that's for a group practice of some kind. And there's all different types of group practices. A really great way to think of it, I think, as an example, is a hospital. So the insurance company wants to know, okay, which hospital did you go to? Because there's lots of hospitals, and that's defined by the type two. But at a hospital, there's often thousands of doctors that work there. Maybe you saw a few of them. So they want to know, okay, which individual doctors at that hospital did you see? Who gave you this care? And that's defined by the the type 1 individual NPI. So even if your practice is very small, it's just a few providers, the insurance company still has that same model in their computer system when they're processing a claim where they want to know, where did you go? And then who were the individual healthcare providers that you saw? So this might be a really dumb question, but let's say that you're a group practice owner. Do you have a separate NPI like for the group and then for your individual self? So it depends a little bit on the group structure, but if there are a few people at the group Mm. and you bill as a group, then yes, your business will have one and type 2 NPI, and then every single person at the group will have your type 1 NPI. It's very much like, you know, employer identification numbers, EINs, and Mm -hmm. social security numbers. Uh, The type 1 NPI, it's like your social security number. There's one for you for your whole career as a healthcare provider. And then the type 2, it's like that EIN. It belongs to the different business entities that you work with. Got it. I love the analogy of the hospital. It's like, I think it's like the perfect image. (laughs) So the most common things you see in terms of mistakes that clinicians tend to make on these super bills that actually stop clients from getting reimbursed or it actually slows it down is this confusion with the NPI. And then any other kind of big ones that you see? Yeah, so I think the other common thing are issues with codes. Mm. Um, They change all the time, so it is so hard to keep up. But it's very common that we'll find a code that's out of date. We still get claims with ICD-9, which has to be translated to the current diagnosis code system, ICD-10. And then with therapy, also a tricky spot is uh, coding for sessions that are longer than those 60 minutes that you usually see with a 90837. There's some new codes that were 
created for use there relatively recently that aren't used that often. We often see multiple units of 90837, and that doesn't usually work very well to describe the actual care provided. So many things to know. <laughs> there, there are so many details. And that's why, you know, we really strongly recommend it is very hard to keep up. It's really complicated. If you have a question, just get in touch with us by email at our support email. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I, I feel like, I don't know, I've always thought about like this concept of working in our business versus on our business and like trying to navigate like all these changing numbers and all this, this, this seems like such a work in your business task that, you know, it may be just wiser to delegate something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why we're here to help. We know that this is complicated and really time consuming. So we're here to be that, you know, person in the middle that's working with the insurance companies, working with the patients, and wherever possible, supporting healthcare providers to make sure this isn't something that's taking up a lot of their time to keep up with changes and and all of the different things that happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Rachel, I wanted to kind of wrap up with, I guess, maybe like a two part. The first part is, like, as you know, we're recording this here at the end of 2017. And so just in 2017, 2018, what are some of the like the biggest changes that you're seeing or that you, you know, that's on the horizon with regard to outer network claims? Yeah, so I think one of the big changes that we've been seeing over the past couple of years that I think is a a growing trend we're going to see more of is when the health insurance companies require information from out-of-network providers to list them in their computer system or they won't process claims. And this is called out-of-network enrollment. And this is, you know, from the insurance company's perspective, this is coming from an effort to modernize their you know, data and data systems and to combat fraud. You know, they used to, for the most case, simply process out-of-network claims without additional information past the super bill. And more and more, we're seeing that they require some paperwork to be filled out or the healthcare provider to go through an online process to certify their information and say, I'm a valid licensed provider. I'm out-of-network. You should process these claims. They are, you know, they're valid. Here's my, my information that I'm confirming. And that causes a lot of claims to get stuck and go unpaid. So something we think is really important for healthcare providers that don't take insurance to be aware of so that when, you know, when claims are getting stuck, they can support and make sure the insurance company has the information they need to process them. I mean, I could see definitely like the benefit of it, right? So I imagine probably this happened because I don't know, either like duplicate claims were being filed or fraudulent ones. But I imagine on the other side of that, this adds a a different layer of complexity for the clinician. It does. And what we really commonly see, because it's, it's, you know, relatively new, not every insurance company does it, every insurance company has a different process, that the result is that a lot of claims get filed by, you know, clients directly that never get reimbursed. And so that's a place where we add a lot of value. We make sure that when this is coming up, that the clinician is aware that they get easy answers to the insurance company's requirements. We guide them through the process. We do the follow-up and we do all of that for free just to make sure that folks' claims are going through the system and getting properly paid back. Got it. So the first big thing is, you know, that 
these insurance companies are now requiring some sort of a database router network providers. What are some of the other trends that you're noticing? So I think, you know, another thing that we're seeing is that codes are rapidly expanding. There's lots more, and a lot of that is if are affecting codes in mental health care. So we see those right every October 1st. We have our additions to ICD-10 for mental health this past fall. Um, there were a lot of changes in the substance abuse diagnosis codes, a lot of new options to use. And I think, you know, in 2018, we're going to see a lot more updates like that in our October changes where there's a lot more specificity and a lot of new codes to use that make some existing codes uh, obsolete. Is October generally kind of the cutoff point for when these codes change? or did- Yeah, so for our diagnosis codes, those updates are generally uh, go into effect October 1st because mm. that's actually the start of the fiscal year. Yeah, so that's why those are done then. And then sometimes there's another update in January, and we'll be publishing a blog post on coding changes that affect um, mental health care providers then as well. Cool. Yeah, no, whenever you guys publish that, please let me know, and I'll definitely link it here to the show notes, because I know (laughs) otherwise folks are probably going to be searching around. So, okay, cool. So there's those two things. And then anything else that's kind of there they can think of? Um, so, you know, another thing that we continue to see with just individual policies is there are a lot of changes with, with what's available on the exchange plans. We have a lot of insurers leaving the exchange, uh, the exchanges. So, you know, some patients are finding themselves in positions where they do have less choice of, of what plan to go with. And that doesn't always allow them to get the benefits they wanted or continue to have the benefits they're accustomed to. There have been some cases where insurance companies have switched PPO plans that have those wonderful out-of-network benefits that people love to use and change them to EPOs that no longer have those. Mm. So some people get surprises like that in the new year where they're, you know, the plan has been changed and it can be a little bit hard to keep up with those changes as well. Gosh, so much. <laughs> like I feel kind of overwhelmed. Like it's this. all details. It's yeah. a lot of details, but that's why we're here to help. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Rachel, I, I really am like grateful for you guys because I think this is such an important service that you know provides just the general healthcare field and more specifically you know colleagues that are in private practice where can we learn more about the things you guys are doing over at better yeah so the great place to start is our website getbetter.co so that's g e t B-E-T-T-E-R dot C-O. And we have resources for both, you know, people, everyone with claims, and for healthcare providers. Awesome. I will definitely link to that here in the show notes as well for you. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like we could probably talk another couple hours on this stuff, but uh, I'm hoping that it's given at least a glimpse of all these things that are on the horizon. Wonderful. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Hey gang, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel. And especially if you are using out-of-network benefits, I hope that it's given you another resource and just some more information. I know that navigating this whole world of -of out-of-network benefits can be quite intimidating. And uh, I hope that this has just given you some direction. And especially even if you're right at the beginning of private practice and you're thinking about creating a private pay practice, maybe just thinking about, you know, how clients might still be able to use insurance, even if you have a private pay practice. 
Rachel mentioned a number of kind of different tools and tips. Uh, You can find all of that over on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 148. And there is a ton of just really good information on the Better blog, which again is at getbetter.co. And you can find lots of information when it comes to super bills and out of network providers and all sorts of different downloads and checklists. Better is actually also an app, and that's actually how they primarily work. So you should uh, might want to definitely check that out, especially if you've been trying to navigate this whole world of out of network benefits and are just feeling frustrated. I think for me, I mentioned this on the interview, but I think a lot about just business in general, and more specifically, I think a lot about areas where we are working in our business versus on our business. And to be honest, like that concept never occurred to me until I read this book called The E-Myth Revisited. And maybe at some point I'll do a book review on this, but but the book is called The E-Myth Revisited, Why Most Small Businesses Fail and What to Do Instead. And in that book, they talk a lot about this concept of working in your business versus on your business. And so the idea is working in your business means where you're kind of trading time for income, uh, where you're doing certain tasks. And whereas working on your business means you're taking kind of a big picture view, taking a step back, planning and visioning for what the business where, you know, our business and our practices can go. And so for us as mental health providers, what that book basically argues is that a lot of businesses are started by people that have technical knowledge. So for us as clinicians, right, we may have a background in a certain theoretical orientation or work with a certain niche. And so basically, the book argues that in order for a business to truly grow and be sustainable, the person that starts the business has to be able to distinguish between, has to pull out of some of those working in your business tasks and start to do more visioning. And for us in our field, of course, with the nature of what we do, we can't be 100% like working on our business, right? Because we're providing services. But this might be an option in terms of where you can actually start to think about working on your business when you're thinking about reimbursement and those kind of things. So I just wanted to provide that little bit encouragement to you. Again, show notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 148. And you can find out more about better at getbetter.co. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And Uh, It's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable 
and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and I'm so grateful for you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.